Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back to Real Estate Coaching Radio, guys. We're going to pick up where we left off yesterday. Um, we're talking about the actual current state of the housing market. We've been, I am hesitant to use the word warning, but we've been warning you that there was a correction that was going to come. It was obvious to us a couple, three years ago when we saw it really slowing down in New York City that it was going to spread across the rest of the country. It has, it pretty much has happened exactly in the same order in which the slowdown happened in the previous market, the macroeconomic conditions are different, but what's actually happening in the real estate markets is virtually the same. And that's very fascinating because that creates an opportunity for all of us to be relatively accurate in our predictions of what's going to happen next and how long it'll take. So what Julie's going to do today, she and I, of course, have been all over this. Um, we pulled out some more statistical facts for all of you, and then I'm going to be done trying to convince you. Okay? The next phase of what we're going to be focusing on the podcast, and not necessarily today, is going to be preparing all of you who basically had your heads in the sand. And if you still choose to keep your heads in the sand and be de- in denial about what we're telling you, then we can't do anything for you. That's the bottom line. You basically have chosen a path where you're going to probably experience some financial hardship as a result of it. So what we're going to do today is Julie, again, got a little bit more evidence, well, a lot more evidence, uh, more uh, specific statistical facts. Hopefully you did a good job, Julie, really setting you up here. <laughs> and uh, But before she goes with the first point, I just want to tell you guys that I am literally just clicked on CNBC right before the podcast. And the first story is housing market shows signs of cracking. Anything goes list uh, strategy is no longer working. I pop over to uh, – Though I never go to this website, I go over to CNN just to see what the headline story was, same thing. I go over to Bloomberg, same thing. I go over to MSNBC, same thing. I go over to Fox, though Fox's story is lower down, same thing. So what's happened is, and what we knew would happen, is that the story of the housing slowdown has gone from a regional story here and there now to a national story. So many of you are in markets where you are not yet feeling it, and truthfully, you won't feel it. For a while, it could even be a year, but know that it's coming. And so the things that you need to be doing now to prepare yourself for that slowdown are different than what you have been doing in this other market, other market being the seller's market. So just keep these things in mind. Most of you have um, not been in the business for more than 10 years. Most of you have not lived through anything other than an increasing seller's market. Most of you don't know or have a clue, and by that I mean agents, brokers, office managers, anyone, you got, start asking all the people around you. By the way, were you in the market from, oh, say, 5 to 08 or 09? Were you selling real estate then? You'll be stunned by how many people weren't. How many basically have only come in in the days of, you know, basically this improving housing market, in these days of optimism, the days of ever-increasing sale prices, and the days of being able to get buyers to be motivated off the fear, if you don't buy now, you're not going to get it, or historically low interest rates and all these types of things. I realize that's been a really great, uh, you know, hit of caffeine for many of you to get 
relatively, you know, to help folks, you know, going to coerce them into making a decision. Because sometimes people are apprehensive. They're nervous, rightfully so. Big decision, right? But reminding them, and it was true, of the fact that interest rates were at a historically low rate, that helped to motivate them, didn't it? Reminding them that it's true. If they don't buy the house, there's 10 other people coming in after them that probably will buy the house was true. But now those things aren't. So you're going to have to learn how to basically sell real estate in a market where buyers are going to be very, rightfully so, apprehensive. You're going to have to learn how to sell in a market where sellers are going to have to let go of their aspirational pricing. And I'm going to set, just so you guys are very clear, the transition from the market that was to market that is sucks. That's it. The transition from the hot seller's market to the acceptance that we're in this new market and it's a balanced market and the average days in the market is going to be measured in months and things like that. That process, those intervening, and it could be, I don't know how long, guys, truthfully. The last time around, it was, it was like years. It took two, three years. This time, I, I don't think it's going to last that long. I think what you're going to see is the market's going to accept what the market is faster it's going, and people are going to react in a predictable way. Um, and it's all going to be relatively uh, – there's not going to be this big cloud of uncertainty like there was back in 07 and 08. This time around, we're going to see what happened back then, in my opinion, over, say, three or four years. We're going to see all that condensed into probably 24 months. And we're going to be talking about what I mean specifically about that on future podcasts. But like I said, this is going to be the last podcast where we take time to try to convince you that what we're saying is happening. And I think Julie is ready and has a lot of statistics for you. Julie? Yes. All right. So, again, this is not speculation. This is statistics. Existing home sales dropped in June for a third straight month. Purchases of new homes at their, are at their slowest pace in eight months. That's new homes. Inventory, which plunged for years. I, I read somewhere, Tim, it was like, I think it was 73 straight months of inventory plunging, something crazy like that. But it has begun to grow again as buyers move to the sidelines, sapping the fuel for surging home values. Prices for existing homes climbed 6.4% in May, which is still good, but it's the smallest year-over-year -year gain since early 2017 and have gained the least over the three months since 2012, according to the Federal Housing Finance Agency. Okay, so the U.S. housing market, particularly in areas like Seattle, Silicon Valley, and even Austin, Texas was named, appear to be headed for the broadest slowdown in years. Buyers are getting squeezed by rising mortgage rates and by prices climbing at about twice as fast as their incomes, so there's only so far they can stretch. Here's what Robert Schiller said. This could be the very beginning of a turning point. He's a Nobel Prize winning economist who is famed for warning of the dot-com and the housing bubbles. He stressed that he isn't ready to make the exact call yet, but said this could be the very beginning of a turning point. Now here's some more, uh, let's see data. We already did that little part. Okay, home prices are plateauing, said Ed Stansfield, chief property economist at Capital Economics Limited in London. People are saying, quote, let's just bide our time. There's no great rush. If we wait six or nine months, we're not going to lose out on getting a foot on the ladder. That means, he's translating, we're now looking at a period in which prices move more or less sideways or increase no more quickly than growth in incomes over the next few years. Again, he's another uh, economist from Capital Economics Limited. He pro projects 
a 5% gain this year and a 3% increase in 2019. That compares to a 10.7% in 2005, shortly before the crash. Now, let's talk about supply lines. Some of the most expensive markets where sales are falling under the weight of prices are now seeing substantial increases in supply. This is according to Redfin Corp. Uh, in San Jose, for example, which, you know, this has notoriously been a very low inventory, very high price market. In San Jose, inventory was up 12% in June from a year earlier. It rose 24% in Seattle, that's huge, and 32% in Portland. Okay, now San Jose, you would kind of predict to go that way since they've been inventory starved for so long, but Seattle and Portland are interesting on that list. Those big jumps are from low numbers, so the housing crunch is still a serious problem. Inventory has increased, um, and this says an agent from Seattle, we are, are seeing less competition. Okay, so Dustin Miller, an agent with Windermere in Portland, says he's trying to manage sellers' expectations. That's the kind of thing, Tim, that you're talking about. We're, we're going to get out of convincing them because there's enough evidence. This is not just one statistic. This is tons of stuff coming out. Um, so Portland agent already trying to manage sellers' expectations, something he hasn't had to do since the end of the last housing boom. One customer, a baby boomer moving to a, small, to a new home across the state, expected to have buyers fighting over her house, but... She got one bid below her asking price. So what did that make me think of? Well, remember yesterday when we were talking about, let me just switch over to that article for a second. I think I still have that up somewhere. Uh, where we were talking about the uh, phases of a housing change, right? So when, there it is. Okay, so what did it say? Between stage one and stage two, we start to see fewer offers, fewer competitive offers, and we start getting away from full listing price. That was a very specific example of that happening. Okay? Buyers want to shop and take some time, opposed to having to rush and throw offers in, Miller said. It's the market correcting itself. At some point, you hit peak momentum, and then things level off. Okay, on to some other stats. CoreLogic case Shiller data hint at the softening. The 20-city index of property values rose 6% in the past 12 months, ending in April. After seasonal adjustments, uh, it posted the smallest monthly increase in 10 months, with New York, San Francisco, and Washington reporting declines. Home ownership still remains out of reach for many Americans, especially for first-time buyers and younger buyers. Uh, existing homes, the median price has gotten to a record of 276900 and properties typically stayed on the market for 26 days. So that segment, according to NAR, is still a hot price range. Most of you guys already know that. Uh, even Lawrence Yun says affordability is becoming a major headache for some home buyers. That's our association's chief economist. You're seeing home sales rising in states like Alabama where things are affordable. But in places like California, people are slowing their buying. Okay, in addition, quote, no one knows how far or how fast borrowing costs may rise as the Federal Reserve raises interest rates. Lenders and borrowers alike are less likely to let credit spiral out of control uh, it, like it did in 2005 and 2006. Financing is tighter and wage gains are in check, uh, but there's not much scope for prices to continue to increase sustainably. The cooling in turn could uh, curb housing starts because builders tend to only build when they think they can confidently sell. And there was a report that came out last week which also backed that up. All right, that's the end of my stats and facts rant. Back to you, Tim.
So we're going to be including this material on the main website, timandjulieharris.com. We're going to be, you know, giving you guys links back to the original source. Um, so here's what the skeptics are thinking. You guys are thinking, well, Tim and Julie have some ulterior motive uh, for giving us this news. And trust me when I tell you that actually us telling you this stuff hurts us because people, generally speaking, when they're not feeling optimistic, don't buy anything, let alone coaching. So the reality of it is, is by us telling you this, by telling you the truth, we're doing it for you. <laughs> we're not doing it for us. But that's our moral obligation to you. It's, our, it's absolutely positively our moral obligation to tell all of you the truth because we know long, long term, and by long term in real estate, I mean like 24 months from now, you will re- reference back to this show, the other show, and all the other times we've ranted about you or ranted to you to basically be, be prepared. You'll thank us, and you will sing our praises, and you will absolutely positively be an incredibly loyal member of our coaching community. That's what's happened in the past. That's what's happening now. That's what will happen in the future. But in the short run, we have got to flay ourselves a little bit so that you will not be ill-prepared. Now, here's the things that are interesting that I don't have quite resolved as far as what's going to happen next. These are not formulated thoughts because this is all stuff Julie and I have been working on for all of you the past two days. This is just sort of raw. I haven't drilled down on this, just so you know. But here's the thing that's different this time, the thing that I can't quite wrap my arms around about what the ramifications of this will be. I know that the economy overall is doing good, at least it is, you know, appears to be. I know interest rates are on the rise, okay, so that's not a good thing for housing. I do know that there's a boatload of millennials that are going to start buying houses. There's more millennials than there were baby boomers, and you know the baby boomers have certainly set the economy in a certain direction for the past, well, in my entire lifetime, and probably many of yours. Many of you are baby boomers, so you know what I'm talking about. Well, there's more millennials than there are you. So they are going to start wanting to buy houses, and then basically now the very the most the oldest ones now are like 30 and 31. And that is going to be demographics or something that the power of all those people wanting to buy will usually uh, completely change the trajectory of even higher interest rates because they're going to have you know families and babies and they're going to want to get their lives going and housing is and always will be one of the best ways to create long-term financial financial stability in your life you know obviously ups and downs and tips and turns and all those types of things but generally speaking if you buy a house with the expectation that it's going to be a good place to live and after you're done living there it'll be a good rental property well you're not going to go too wrong so the only you know headwinds here's here it is i don't know how people are going to react this time to the fact that they have no equity in their houses. When prices adjust downward, which they are, I don't know how far they're going to adjust downward. I'm sure there's not one answer. It's going to adjust downward in different markets. In New York City, in the upper end real estate, those people are losing millions of dollars. In Greenwich, Connecticut, they're losing millions of dollars. The same thing is happening in California. In the upper end real estate, those prices have fallen millions of dollars, not just $10,000, you know? Not $5,000, not Mr. Seller, can we please do a price adjustment for $3,500? I think that'll help us get the house sold. It's Mr. Seller, we need to reduce by $3.5 million. Those are the conversations I'm already having with some of our upper end agents, okay? That is going to be, you know, scaled downwards, obviously, happening across the country. What happens, what happened, past tense, when homeowners woke up to the fact that they had no equity in their houses, listen to what I'm telling you, the behavior was back in 07, 08, 09, was to st- stop making the payment 
and stay in the house. Or they would do what we called then strategic short sales. A lot of you remember that. Those uh, back then, that was a very sketchy, it still is sketchy behavior, but the reality of it is, is now it's actually condoned because people will know how the system works. Back then, when you stopped making your house payment, people lived in fear that there was going to be some sheriff pounding on their door within 90 days to throw all their crap out on the curb. But the laws changed, and they haven't changed back to protect the defaulting homeowner. The processes have changed. The way the banks report the defaults have changed. So people know this. This isn't going to be new. I'm not all of a sudden saying something that's going to screw the housing market. Trust me when I tell you this information is on the Internet. As soon – here it is. Listen to what I'm saying. What happened back in the day was that when people woke up to the fact they had no equity in their houses, many of them stopped making payments, and they saved the money. They actually saved the money, and some of them would uh, stay in the same neighborhood, do a strategic uh, foreclosure on the house, rent their existing house out, and, and basically leave town, or they would uh, – though the staying in the house option became the prevalent way of handling it, many of them would just bail on their house and rent another house in their neighborhood. So as soon as psychologically there's something that happens in people's minds that when they don't have equity in the house, when they just become a tenant to the bank, their relationship with that property changes, and they have a overreaction to it, and they usually will think of ways to basically uh, you know, get out of the deal. They'll do strategic defaults, strategic short sales. You, those of you who were in the business back then, you know what I'm talking about. We had strategic short sales, strategic uh, foreclosures. We had uh, buy-in bails where they'd buy a new house, and then they'd stop making payments on the old one. All of that stuff is going to happen again in differing levels of intensity in your marketplace. It's very predictable. Don't argue with me. Don't argue with you, you know, any, your own inner self saying it's not going to happen in my market. Just look at the facts. Look to see what your market did in 2006, 2007, 2008. Look to see what prices did. What makes you think that prices can't fall back to those points that they were back then? Do I think they'll fall that far? I do not. <clears throat> could I be wrong? Absolutely, they could. But I don't think they will. But they could. So if you want a window into what could happen, go into the MLS, do a little homework, and find out what real estate was selling for 10, 11 years ago. That should give you a sobering, uh, clear view of what could happen. So then what do you do with this information? You realize now that you've seen what, how your market reacts to a housing correction. Now you see how the people in your market react to a housing correction. Prepare yourself for them to react in that way. Okay? Now, you might overcorrect yourself, and I want you to be careful of that. If you decide to basically go to ground, you know, if you decide to dig a cave and just wait for all to pass, you're going to miss one of the biggest opportunities in your lives. This is the thing that's counterintuitive because it goes against our natural fear response. Many of you hearing this information, your first reaction is going to be fear, fear, fear. And what happens is, you know, people say, well, what happens when someone's under in a fear situation? Yes, it's fight or flight, but what most people do is they do nothing. So they'll stop doing everything. They'll stop working. They'll stop prospecting. They'll stop being optimistic. They'll st they stop, and they just wait for somebody to solve the problem for them. And that waiting can last 10, 11 years. It can, it can literally ruin your life financially. That happens a lot, guys. That happened in the last one. It's going to happen in this one. What you need to realize is, is the greatest fortunes in the history of history have been made during the greatest times of change. If you're in one of the markets 
that Julie just rattled off, don't deny that your market is changing. Don't go to ground. Don't be fearful. Think to yourself, ask yourself, yes, the opportunities on how I can make money and help people are shifting. Do I have the skill set to uh, basically meet the market where it is? Do I have the ability to actually go and say, help somebody, uh, a buyer purchase a house in such a way that they can emotionally work their, around their fear of overpaying or buying too soon? You do not. You know you don't. Do you have the ability to go in there and talk to sellers who are going to be losing money on their houses? Do you have an ability to talk to a seller about the different options if they are underwater on their houses? Do you? Many of you do not. Do you have the ability to basically do uh, get REO listings from banks? No, you do not. Do you have the ability to basically – you guys get the point? So the whole jib-jab of what's been going on the last 10 years, the teams and the logos and the branding and the expansion teams and all, all the other Mickey Mouse that only comes in, in a seller's market. It only comes when basically the tides have risen for everybody. As soon as that changes, all those things evaporate. They won't exist anymore. Now, they'll come back in five or six years probably, but in this intervening, you know, however long this correction takes, but in the intervening however long, months or years of the correction, you'll, you'll be like, what happened to that company that used to sell, tell me that I needed to establish a Facebook branding campaign like camp? What happened? Oh, they're gone. Well, they basically are waiting off the bad market and hoping it doesn't last too long. So their message doesn't become irrelevant. You guys get the point? So in this marketplace, it's boots on the ground. The agents have the skill set of the agents that are going to dominate. The agents that can communicate with a seller and explain to them in a non-emotional way what needs to happen now. At the same time, you know, show emotion without being emotional. They can't come off too cold and callous and uncaring because you're going to have a lot of people, sellers, who are going to go through immense stress. And that's the part that's hard about a market like this. Remember I said the transitioning market's the hard part. Going from where we were to where we are, that bridge is a rickety-ass bridge <laughs> that's going to teeter in the wind, and it's going to be scary for many people because they're not going to know how long the bridge is. They're not going to know if for sure the next step on the bridge is going to be the plank that breaks that, you know, you guys get the idea that the transitioning time from the old market to the new market, that's the hardship part. Once you're there, when basically sellers stop, you know, they have accepted the fact their houses are now worth this versus that. When buyers have, when the market stabilized to the point where people aren't overly reacting to, oh my gosh, are the prices going to keep falling? Where interest rates have stabilized, when all that stuff has sorted itself out, you guys, then it gets much easier again. But in the intervening time. It's hard for people that don't have the skill set and the mindset to be of service. It, it, guys, those are the facts, and we're going to be delivering to you exact drill-down, step-by-step things in our usual Tim and Joy fashion, which is perhaps overly direct. But the, the reality is, is if we don't deliver to you overly direct, even if it's sometimes offensive, you're not going to listen. We have to cut through your hopes and prayers that we're not right. You have to, we have to cut through probably everybody around you who doesn't have this information. We have to leave it all in the field for you so you have the courage and the knowledge to leave it all in the field for your clients. Because if we're of service to you, you're going to be of service to your sellers and your buyers for that matter. Julie, anything you'd like to – any frosting yeah, you like to put well, on the cake? I mean, the good news about this, I, I look at it absolutely from a coaching standpoint. What do they need next? 
And what is the silver lining? Well, the silver lining is the days of a seller throwing a FISBO sign in their yard and getting you know, 12 offers by midnight and the idea that negotiating means to choose an offer, those are going to be dwindling. That's exciting news for agents. Why? Because they absolutely need you more. When they need you more, they appreciate you more, and generally you make more money, assuming that you have the skills to be able to say, yes, it would be my pleasure to help you with that. Absolutely, I can help you navigate through that. Okay? Versus, oh, not my cup of tea, maybe it's not a great time to sell, you know, that kind of craziness. So I'm excited for the agents that either already have it together and are very frosty about this stuff, and there are a lot of them listening right now, but certainly for the agents that are getting it together and who are utilizing their coaching and who are being coachable on things like pricing strategies, managing sellers' expectations, price reductions. I mean, the best price reduction is never having to do one because you priced it right in the first place. But with a changing market, you might not always be right about that. The comps that made sense yesterday might not make sense 45 days from now. The idea is, remember, the most successful listing agents are the ones who have the listings when they actually close. That is the name of the game. So all of these things are learnable. And then I also think that it's more exciting from a lead generation standpoint because your listings will indeed take longer to sell. That means you'll have more listings in inventory at a certain time. So you start self-generating. Those of you who are still, in spite of our best efforts, paying for leads, <laughs> buying leads, okay, I mean, come on. When you have more listing inventory, then you'll have no excuse to be shelling out money buying your leads because and one of the topics we're doing in Premier Coaching is how to hot ride your real estate sign. Since signs are sitting around longer, you might as well lead generate off of them and take advantage of that fact. Some of you guys in crazy hot markets got away from even using a sign because you figured, why bother? I think that's pretty lazy. You know, well, I kind of don't blame the seller Joy. for not wanting to pay. But anyway, Joy, I, bounce, I get excited for the that. Yeah. Well, what, exactly. But the opportunity really comes on the skill set side, right? When you're able to actually get a, a, get a property sold that other people can't sell, when you're actually able to go in there and have a conversation with the seller that results in them, uh, you know, under, five other realtors went in and you get the listing and you're basically, the, they list with you because they feel like you told them the truth about the market. That's the market that we're into. So by the way, guys, um, my top clients, I basically sent them a private email today. Well, obviously it's private, it's an email. And I told them all to send a, a links to the articles that we've been posting, the Bloomberg and the CNBC article. I've asked them to send those all to their sellers. And while we were on the podcast, I just got a copy of a text exchange back and forth between one of my clients and one of his sellers. And he did exactly what I asked him to do. And the seller's response, and this is in Southern California, and the seller's response was, this is the whole text exchange. Actually, I'll read it to you right now. Okay, I'm going to read it just as it was sent to me because I don't want to have to go from memory and get it wrong. All right, so here it was. I'm not going to give you any more details about who it was or any of that stuff. So, Okay, so he sent the article of Southern California Home Sales Crash, a warning sign to the nation. Their seller's response is, so we sell quick? His response was, yes, sir, that's the goal. Seller's response, copy. Okay? And the price is going to be reduced on that particular house by probably $1 million. So there you go, guys. This is the market that we're in. Get ahead of it. Listen to what we're saying. Please do what we're asking you to do so that you can thrive in this market. Remember, there's not less money flowing around. There isn't. It's just going to flow to different people. It's going to flow to different people who have different skill sets. Have the, be the agent has a skill set. 
focus on being of service to other people in a transitioning market, it's going to suck. It's going to be hard. I'm not going to lie to you. So the mantra of doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to do at the highest level is more true now, frankly, than it's probably been in any of your careers. This is our business. This is our industry. We're in a people-helping business. That's what we do. We're in a people-helping business. That's not about follow your passion. That's not about any of these little feel-good things that people like to say. This is about doing the work that's necessary to help people solve their problems. And when you do that in abundance enough times, there's no limit to the experience you can have on this planet, to the goals that you'll accomplish. Hopefully that's very clear to all of you. If you guys need us for anything, it's Tim at TimAndJulieHarris.com or Julie at TimAndJulieHarris.com. Have a fantastic day. Listen to the podcast from yesterday, please. And for those of you who are flying in uh, for the weekend event, I look forward to seeing you on Saturday. And uh, we're going to have a great time. Uh, be expecting more information like this. And at the event, guys, we're actually going to give you, I think it's our 12-step plan on what you need to do now to position your real estate practice or brokerage for the changing market. And we've really drilled down to very specific things. So those of you who are flying in, make sure you're ready to take lots of great notes. If you like the podcast, you're going to love the event because there's no fluff. Do you think we don't do fluff? Wait to how little fluff we do at the event. You guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.